what's the most exciting part about my job? And you can hear this is exactly the most exciting part about my job. Just meeting exceptional human beings that I have the privilege of being surrounded by and supporting. Uh, there's so much talent out there, it's unreal. Welcome to this episode of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today, I am joined by Marta, the head of Google Startups. What is particularly interesting about Marta's career is she covers the big three of entrepreneurship. That is, she's had a business that has failed, she's had a business that has scaled, and she's had raised money and a successful exit. So it encompasses all the different stories that are out there when it comes to entrepreneurship. And also, it's the classic entrepreneur's tale of solving a business. Marta is an immigrant that came from Poland to the United Kingdom and has spent time in New York as well. And that, as Rishi Sunak said in our first episode, is so important for the health of the UK entrepreneurship ecosystem, is diversity of ideas and the immigration that that can so often fuel. Before diving in, I wanted to thank our headline partners, the Octopus Group. Octopus is one of Europe's largest and most active venture capital investors. Investing more than 200 million a year, it backs UK entrepreneurs at every stage of their journey. From ideas on a page right through to IPOs and has funded some of our nation's biggest success stories from Kazoo to Depop. Octopus was started 20 years ago in one of the co-founders' bedrooms with one phone line and a copy of the Yellow Pages. Now Octopus is one of the most powerful engine rooms of the UK entrepreneurial community and has backed and developed several unicorns themselves, including Octopus Energy. I am proud that Octopus have backed this podcast since the second series and they are the reason we are now able to put such a professional show together. To hear more about what they do, it is worth checking out previous episodes with the founders Chris Hewlett, Simon Rogerson, or one of their venture partners on the future of health tech, Pooja Seeker. On to today's show. Marta, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Hi, Jimmy. Thanks so much for having me. Explain to us what the role of the head of Google Startups is. That is an excellent question. And I can definitely tell you that every single friend of mine uh, when I took the job, um, was, uh, was asking me, um, when you think about Google, many would think about its startup DNA, that it started in a garage in Silicon Valley. And that is obviously important. Um, but Google is ultimately, a, a truly commercial, successful, scalable organization. And, and that success is coming from, from something. And, and that something is strategic thinking and long-term thinking. And when you think about the companies that are today, growing the fastest, solving the biggest problems, innovating the most. Often these are the companies that are five or 10 years old. Haven't we all thought about, you know, the speed at which Revolut is raising money or the scale that Hopin got just in two or three years. So at Google for Startups, we help support early stage entrepreneurs with the best of Google. And that we understand as our people. Um, Google has over a hundred thousand employees around the world, all of them the best at their jobs, from AI engineers to salespeople to finance people. Um, then we've got products that are so ubiquitous today that sooner or later any tech founder will 
be operating in a Google ecosystem in some fashion. And the third thing is our best practices. And I can definitely tell you that as an entrepreneur, um, I have often found myself asking the question, how does Google do it? And what can I learn from that? Um, so I run a small but powerful team that um, finds companies in the UK and beyond. We very much see the role of the UK and specifically the role of London as a hub for, if not global startups, then at least for sure European, African and Middle Eastern, as I genuinely believe that while it's great and London is my home and uh, it's more than 10 years since I've come here from Krakow. Um, hopefully not all of us will have to be <laughs> leaving our homes and, and contributing to the brain drain. So we would love a connected world in which some entrepreneurs that are not here could come to London, raise money here, build commercial relationships here, but then still, uh, you know, contribute to the UK economy, but as well, uh, create jobs and, and opportunities wherever, wherever home is. Um, so think of me as a sort of bizarre mix of an accelerator lead, an angel investor, and uh, sort of an agony aunt um, for many founders that are at, um, I sort of say at the beginning of their journey, we predominantly work with founders that are pre-Series A. And what's particularly important for me as, is that these founders are using technology to solve big problems and that they represent the diversity of our society. We often say at Google that if we want technology to work for everyone, it's got to be built by everyone. It's a great line. And talk to us about the, the change of Google because London and the UK and the world has you know, gone on this kind of tech revolution over the, you know, since the turn of the century and so on. And a, a big part of the kind of growing up of the London tech scene was particularly Google Campus that was based in Shoreditch. I think it opened in, in 2010. Google dedicated bricks and mortar building to startups and entrepreneurships. Uh, last year, you announced that that was, that was closing and evolving into what you are now, which in a way was quite a sort of sad moment for people like me that had spent so much time at the Google campus, soaking up so much knowledge and, and making connections. But what you're planning to do now sounds really exciting and, and actually in a way could potentially be even more accessible to lots more people on a broader scale. Yeah, and I, I, I love that you that you see it as that. Um, and uh, and at the same time, we have to recognize that it is it was an iconic building, a very important moment for um, a very important place for very many people that are that are what today, uh, you know, today's startup elite um, of the UK um, is. And um, and indeed, campus opened in March, 2012, um, which coincides with when I arrived in London. Um, but, um, it was one of the first places that I went to and as a sort of fresh off the boat, bright eyed, um, um, sort of, uh, early entrepreneur looking for my next thing and looking for my next opportunity. It was, it was a truly magical place. And the reason it came, it came to be, it was actually off the back of many conversations, um, with investors with the, the then sort of nascent, um, startup ecosystem with people in government of the role that Google should play and would want to play in incubating that said ecosystem. And one of the, one of the main things Google heard, I, I was, I was, um, tempted to say we, but this was very much before my time. Uh, one of the main things that Google heard was we need a convening place, 
a little bit like a Greek agora, somewhere that somewhere that everybody can come to and, and share thoughts, share ideas, and um, and 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 make help make London what it is today. And and that's exactly what Google did. Um, Google Campus was open from March 20, um, 2012 uh, to March 2020 when it had to shut its doors uh, because of um, our very well-known friend or not, um, COVID-19. And I joined Google in November 2018 um, following my career as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, as you kindly mentioned, having done the three, the failing, the scaling and, and the selling, although actually that was before the, my last exit, I was actually, I was still an active founder um, when I joined Google. And one of the things that I found incredibly encouraging about, uh, about um, sort of disappointment was that Google was open to me still being an active founder. In fact, the view was that this is going to make me more relevant and authentic to the ecosystem rather than just being another, another Google operator or exec. Um, and, but just um, just just talk because that that is fascinating, right? And and one of the things I think about modern day entrepreneurship, you know, it's it's possible to do a couple of things at the same time. It, it is, um, and and obviously, you know, I was um, I was in, not in an executive role, so you know, the, my last company uh, free up the three co-founders um, um, that we were the the guys kept on running the business day to day, and I stayed in my non-executive role, um, which still occupied a big part of my brain, but, um, it didn't, you know, it didn't prevent me from, from, from doing a job at Google that was, that I, that I took very seriously because, you know, ultimately the reason why I took it in the first place was because I, having spent so many years in the tech ecosystem, saw that there were things that, 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 that really needed supporting, rectifying or amplifying. And, and one of, one of the main drivers for me was. A, the fact that actually Google was super helpful to, um, to Asimo, my, my second, uh, startup, the money transfer that is now doing fabulously well, raised, um, almost 19 million, um, in venture and debt, um, got millions of users in Europe, um, who are sending money back home for a fraction of what they used to. And Google was really, really helpful to us in the earliest, in, in the earliest days. So I trusted in that ability for, for, for the big and the small to come together, to create, to create positive outcomes for, for everyone. Um, but also, um, having been a founder for uh, this to stage, whatever, 10 plus years, uh, there were still things that I, that I was finding really, really tricky. Um, I was in my third company. It was still unbelievably hard. You would think that it gets easier. No, it doesn't because the market is moving. The competition is moving. You're still trying to create something out of nothing. So perhaps you're a little bit smarter. Perhaps you're making less of the same mistakes, but there are endless mistakes to make. So a little bit of that sort of impartial third party that would want to lend a helpful hand um, sort of made complete sense to me. The other thing, just on the co-founding front, I'd, I'd had seven co-founders uh, over the years and all of them were white men. I was like, hang on a second, what's going on? Like I didn't move to London to like, I mean, there, there are other people around me. So where are they in tech? Um, um, I'm sure they're there. Um, is there any, any way for us to, to, um, to support to support that talent. And, and then there was also the piece of, you know, how do, how do we, how do we open up that opportunity, not only to people that are based in central London, but to everybody else. And to go back to your question around, around campus, um, it, it played an incredibly important role over these, these sort of, let's actually call it 10 years. I mean, obviously it's, it's now been closed for, 
uh, since the beginning of COVID, but that sort of convening place um, was critical for that stage of development of, of London's tech ecosystem. Um, a lot of what we saw, we actually say maybe we are, um, we, uh, we fell prey to our own success because we've managed to do so much, I won't be modest here, so much excellent work during COVID. I, I was actually, I felt me and my team, we were incredibly privileged to be in the position to do something about what we saw was unfolding around us. Very many people were just trying to, to, to survive. And we obviously had to adapt to, um, you know, working from home and all that, but ultimately beyond it, we had, we had the means and the resources of the third largest company in the world to support founders whose worlds were, you know, flipping upside down very many. Uh, very many companies were going into hardship. Very many started pivoting heavily to either sell things differently, provide services differently, or in fact, you know, health tech companies started taking off. So we had to quickly form a point of view of what is our best way of providing that same support we used to, but this time completely remotely. And it opened us to founders based outside of London or central London. It opened us up to founders that are slightly later stage and therefore, you know, wouldn't bring 10 or 20 people uh, to campus on, on, on any day. Um, and it also just opened us up to that realization that, that the early days of campus, we responded to the need of space. That need in 2020, or in fact in 2022, um, is largely around access to finance, access to talent, and access to jobs. All of these things yeah. that actually uh, we know uh, you care passionately about and that's what gave birth to this podcast exactly you know and, and as you say google ha employs so many different people in, in so many different roles now as you said at, at the outset kind of a hundred thousand people which is which is pretty incredible um and so talk us through the kind of you know you have this small but perfectly formed uh team what are the kind of different roles that are in that and how have those changed over the over the few years that you've been running it yeah so um we, we we've we broadly run programs for founders so when you think about it we work with sort of 50 to 100 startups a year in high touch programs so think you're you know your y combinators or, or tech stars that are you know what what we consider the gold standard and we aspire uh, we aspire to be. Um, so we have uh, program uh, managers and coordinators that would run um, that would run the said programs. And this can be anything from actually even before uh, before COVID started. Actually, as COVID started unfolding, we were running a, a UK immersion program. We found ten companies from across the UK um, that were doing exceptional work, and we were connecting them well to each other, to mentors to investors, to potential commercial partners. Um, and that will be run by, by, by a program, by, by a program, uh, manager. Um, and, you know, huge shout out to Mariama, to Oliver, to, uh, to precious, but also actually in the early days, he said, how did things change? For instance, Stefano Lorini, who was there when I joined in 2018 has since left and started his own startup called Lupa that helps people get into running. He is also a professional athlete. So I'm actually very pleased that as the team was changing over the years, there were, um, there were also people who, who went from the support role into an active founder role. Um, 
Also, what we see, one of the best things um, of, of working at Google is being able to use Google's brand to shine the light on important issues. And um, when, I, when I joined, there were three things that were particularly important to me and sort of my whole pitch for the job. One was we will focus on supporting founders that are truly solving big problems with technology. The other that we're going to level the playing field for founders to the extent that we can. We're going to work with women founders, founders of color. Um, and probably the most impactful piece of work that I and the team have done um, since I joined Google for Startups uh, was the Black Founders Fund Europe, which we launched um, early last year. And we invested in 30 Black-led startups from Europe, 20 of which are from the UK. We deployed only $2 million. So it was all small tickets. And our goal was to shine the light on these companies and bring uh, other investors on board for them to see, okay, these are the sexy companies you, know, you want to get involved. Um, since we deployed the 2 million six months ago, these founders have already raised more than 63 million in follow-on funding. And that wow. to me is fantastic. Gosh. Because that just shows that all of, all of the people that said, oh, you know, it's a pipeline problem. There just aren't very many black founders out there. They're there. They're amazing. And if you're not investing in them, you're missing out. Um, and that whole, uh, that whole opportunity to use Google's brand, um, you know, that, that means that our marketing has to, um, has to be strong. And again, here, a shout out to, uh, to Michael, who's been doing a great, a great job on that front. Um, so we have Google for startups in nine countries around the world. Um, so there are nine of me's, uh, so to speak. We also have a global team or central team that uh, largely is responsible for connecting us to different product areas within Google, because again, our biggest value add is connecting people to the best of Google. And many of these, you know, many of these fascinating teams, obviously we have DeepMind, for instance, in, uh, in, in the UK, but when you think about some of the really interesting technology that's being built, say in Silicon Valley or in different parts of Asia. You know, we want to be well plugged into that to be able to give some of that insight to the founders. I'm going to ask you a really hard question now, but what is the most exciting thing that you have seen at Google recently that we might not know about yet? Ooh, well, I suppose there is a, I suppose there is, there's a lot of things that I cannot tell you about, <laughs> um, but, um, if I wonder, have you, Jimmy, have you ever met Wendy Tan, Wendy Tan White? Yes. So, so Wendy, um, joined Google X actually, I think late 2018 or early 2019 and she joined, um, so Google X is our moonshot factory. Um, a lot of the brilliant wacky projects, um, that are built at alphabet, um, or at Google, um, from, you know, giving you know, putting sea cables in the ocean or giving internet access to everybody to space travel. This would generally be an X kind of effort. And Wendy is uh, the CEO of Intrinsic. Um, and it's a robotics uh, software and AI company. Um, incredible, very complex, but amazing technology. And also it's, it's amazing to see a strong, you know, British female entrepreneur uh, leading an alphabet company. So I'd say, um, if you're into, if you're into deep tech, definitely check intrinsic out. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. Some of the things that might be, uh, that might be coming out there. And if one of the questions that we're asking this series is if you were 22 in 2022, 
where do you think you would be looking to start your career? Where do you think you'd be going? What sectors do you think would be interesting you? Oh, um, so I think my, I mean, first of all, I feel I have to say, I, I spent the majority of my career being the youngest person in the room. Um, so it's quite a, it's quite a new experience for me to be actively learning from people that are much younger than me, but I am fascinated by Gen Z, the way that they're thinking, the way that they're solving problems, the way that they're committed to impact and they really carry their hearts on their sleeve and they're all about values. The only reason why, I mean, I am terrified about climate, uh, the climate crisis, um, Frankly, whether I was 22, 33 or 55 in 2022 and starting a business, I would definitely be doing something in the climate space, not just because it's the most important problem we have to solve now as humanity, but also because the amount of money and talent going into climate, when you look at it over the past 12 months, is increasing dramatically. Um, so, uh, so I think I would probably be, I'd probably be regardless of my age. I'm going to climate tech, but I suppose if mm. I was 22, I'd be doing it in some cool new way that I barely understand. <laughs> like, you know, it would probably be a mix of TikTok and NFTs, but somehow a, cli- a, a sort of a climate positive uh, version of that. That is a uh, that's a, a good Venn diagram to uh, to draw out there, and I should say we've had a generational historian on the podcast in the past in the last series, Eliza Philby. If you're interested in comparing mm-hmm. the generations, that is an it's an amazing episode to um, to listen to. Um, and just talking about kind of you know jobs and and jobs at Google. Obviously, a lot of what you're doing is supporting entrepreneurship, but there is you know. Google kind of interview questions have been famed throughout the last decade of being some of the most um, challenging and thought-provoking ways um, to, to be interviewed. What's your advice on people that want to apply for jobs at Google? Because there is an amazing, you know, you go on the website and there are, you know, a workforce of 100,000 people means that you're hiring all the time. What are your tips for getting a job at Google? Oh, great question. Um, so, I'll, well, there a lot of this is actually, there's a lot of, and I really respect that, there's a lot of resources that are available publicly on what um, Google is looking at and how we're evaluating, um, how we're evaluating candidates. So I would definitely recommend that everybody refers to these materials. But for me, it's really about, about three things. Um, it's, well, technically it's four. Um, one is just your general intelligence. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Google famously hires some of the most, some of the smartest people. And there is this, there is this bias or this sort of assumption that that means you had to have gone to Oxford or Stanford. Um, well, let's just say, um, my Polish uni somehow did not, you know, actually, I have no idea if it's on the list, but, um, but it's, it's not really only about formal education. It's definitely about being smart and being switched on and thinking on your feet, um, but it's not just about your academics. Um, definitely not these days. And Google's also doing a lot of work to, uh, to see beyond just these credentials, which are helpful heuristics, but, but if they were the only ones used, then we would be missing out on a tremendous amount of talent. Um, so you've got your sort of general intelligence, you've got the role related knowledge. Um, so understanding as much as you can about the role that you're going for and showing that you're really 
that you're really well versed in that area, but also that you'd be able to learn quickly. So sometimes it's not only about knowing the answer to a question, but also being able to show your thought process or where you'd be looking for information or who you'd be able to ask, what networks you'd be able, how you'd be able to tap. Then the third thing is, is leadership. And I think, again, leadership is not just something that people in leadership positions that are 50 plus uh, have. It's, it's, it's the ability to, I actually, I'm fascinated by, by leadership as, as a concept and as a field of study. One of my favorite books is a book called um, Leadership on the Line uh, by Ronald Heifetz. Um, I had the privilege years ago, he's a Harvard professor and I had a privilege of doing a leadership course with him and, uh, and him and Marty Linsky, his co-author, talk about um, leadership as the ability to make people face reality and the ability to mobilize them to do something about it. So you can really lead without formal authority. And there we talk a lot at Google about the difference between, uh, between uh, or actually leading with authority and without authority. So you won't always have an organization in which 100 people report to you, but you still can be a leader of a project. You can be a leader in the way that you show up with your clients or colleagues. Um, and then finally, that, that, that fourth piece, um, Wow, I got so excited. I think I've forgotten. Um, it's going to come back to me. <laughs> See, that's the thing. You get you get me talking talking about leadership, and 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 I forgot, uh, and I forgot um, everything everything else. <laughs> that's that's all right, and I'm sure it will come back to you. Um, and the beauty of podcasting is is we can. It's not a fixed time interview. And and tell us about the podcast that you're going to be um launching soon it's uh it's great to hear that uh competition of google is coming into the podcast marketplace for inspiring entrepreneurs but but talk to us about that because it sounds an incredibly exciting project and something which is going to pull a lot of the best of google's knowledge together awesome and obviously as you were speaking it came back to me the fourth thing is googliness which is cultural fit. And again, we talk a lot about the, the what and the how, um, what you do in your job and what you need to achieve, but how you achieve it, um, how you show up, um, with, again, with colleagues, with clients um, uh, at work. Um, and uh, so yeah, the fourth thing is cultural fit, uh, and, uh, which we call Googliness. Um, I love that you bring up the podcast. Um, again, uh, you know, huge, uh, huge kudos to, to my colleague, Michael, whose brainchild it is. Um, over the years at, at Google for Startups, we found there was one format that worked really, really well in all of our high-touch programs, and we call it founder stand-ups. And, and many of the companies, uh, if they do listen to your podcast, they will recognize it. Um, we encourage founders, either first thing on a Monday or last thing on a Friday, to take an hour and in a group of five to 10, moderated by one of us, go around the room and do sort of a round robin off you know, they're high, they're low, and their biggest challenge. Often when you're a founder, you're running so fast that you, there is a risk of falling, falling prey to the urgent rather than the most important. Um, so we're encouraging that hour of reflection. Um, and we're also encouraging vulnerability. And we try and model vulnerability. I'm the first one to always admit when I don't know something or I'm rubbish at something. Um, and... Um, just being able to say, you know, there's this person on my team. I, I think they're really, really good, um, but they're checked out. And I don't know if I should be looking to sack them or I should be trying to salvage them. How do I go about it? Have any of you had a comparable experience? Um, 
And we've had so many of these over the years. Um, and also we've seen that while giving founders access to Google is great, also giving founders access to relevant other founders and experts is potentially as important, if not more important, it sort of became apparent that if, as a lot of these conversations are quite universal, if we could do this at scale and in an open forum, that this could be great advice, not only for these founders in a founder standup, but, but for anyone who would like to tune in. And that gave birth to Scale Ups and Downs, um, which uh, we just officially launched. The extended trailer is already available on all platforms um, of your choice. Um, but uh, we're now recruiting for more people to join us. So the way that it goes is you go to uh, scaleupsanddowns.com and we're asking founders at any stage of their, um, their development to submit a particular challenge that they're experiencing. And it can be uh, anything from fundraising to product development to data security, um, anything that they'd be willing to uh, admit to and we put together panels of experts. So um, each podcast every two weeks, I'll be joined by a couple of experts that have done this before, made some of these mistakes before, and together we will live discuss um, what some of the solutions to the challenges might be. And um, we obviously sort of stress this. No, this and, idea. and just on that, I do think it's it's so interesting though because so often when we have a problem, Google the product. The search engine <laughs> is the first place that we go to, right? And um, but but those really tricky questions that you outlined there actually aren't very Googleable in terms of getting an answer, and that's where you you know you need networks, and the and the chances are you're not going to find something, you're not going to have a problem that no one else has not encountered before somewhere, and that's where networks like this can be so important. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, it's I, I I love that you mention it uh, because maybe some of these would be you know would be newer problems. You know, we're all you know we're all innovating, we're building new stuff. Um, uh, at Asimo, we famously used to say that um, you know how do you have when you're doing something for the first time, how do you hire people that have experience in it? So I think it's actually not necessarily the the the, the fact that the, these questions would have always um been been grappled with before but i think it's just about sending that message that admitting challenges and solving problems together is the way to go it can be very lonely at the top um whether these are solo founders or or founders that have co-founders quite often um you know very many would go into the dark hole of i'm going to work three times as hard and perhaps a good solution is going to come to me but actually that openness is really important and um, many, I spent so many, so much time, um, with, uh, with VCs over the years. And very often they all say, we already can predict what kinds of problems you're going to have in your business. So it's not about pretending that you don't have problems. It's about how you approach these problems, how you correctly identify what they are and then identify the right steps to try and come up with a solution and then deploy that solution. Um, so yeah. Um, very excited about, about podcasting, but listen, Jimmy, you know, you've been doing this for a bit and really well, you know, you set the bar high. <laughs> so a, a veteran now in, in podcast, podcasting lands. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a wonderful medium as we were just chatting beforehand. It's, uh, it, it, it is very powerful and it's very like, 
it's very accessible as well, actually. I think that's the other thing that is, um, you know, the things that you've talked about before. Lots of people can access it through lots of different platforms um, and they can do it whenever they want as well. That's one of the one of the things that I really like about it. Um, and yeah, it proves to be a powerful medium for people. Um, and on sources of information, it's one of the things that has changed so much from kind of when you and I were starting out on our careers, that now there is a whole range of content that is being produced um, on a you know, on an hourly basis, what are the resources that you use to kind of keep on top of the, of the modern economy, you know, whether it be podcasts, newsletters, uh, and so forth. What are the things that, uh, you, that inspire you kind of on a weekly basis? Oh, great question. Um, so I subscribe to a bunch of uh, newsletters um so i definitely recommend axios uh, newsletters and crunchbase daily which for me is particularly helpful because it's, it's particularly for tech i appreciate not everybody listening here will be uh will be interested in startups but axios have a number of different um newsletters uh depending on what you're interested in on the sort of newsletters, um, Azim Azar um, has a great one, Exponential View. He recently wrote a book as well. Mm. He's also got a podcast. And I think just for expanding my horizons, um, he's he's a really good one. And that's one that um, that uh, I, well, I've met Azim a number of times and he's he's just endlessly impressive. And also the quality of, of people that he brings into uh, his virtual room is um, is really, really good. Um, at the risk of sounding very old, I also just read the news. Um, and, and in fact, I, um, I try, um, I'm not trying to plug my employer here, but, um, I find Google news helpful because I probably have one or two publications that are most in line with my political views, but actually I think it's important to have a balanced point of view from, from all sources. So, um, it just handily. Uh, feeds me with everything that's out there rather than the pages that I would go to, um, that I would go to myself. And, and yes, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm discovering podcasts more and more. I wasn't much of a podcast fan pre-COVID. I think largely I just didn't know when there was time in my day. Um, but as I sort of resorted to running and cycling and walking for mental health protection in these crazy times, I find that a podcast can be, um, can be uh, a, a real treat from my world. Um, 20 minute VC with Harry Stebbings, I find, um, is really, really good. I won't lie, Jimmy. I've listened to a few of yours. Um, so, you know, um, you're up there. Um, Mo Gaudat, um, who is, uh, who was a Google X's lead and the chief business officer at Google that was doing outside of the U S for very many years. He's got a good podcast where he brings people from actually outside of the business world, but also sort of in the broadening their horizons, um, sort of category. Um, and, uh, yeah, I could probably carry on. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty there. And, um, yeah, Mo Gaudet's one is, is, is really good actually. And he spends a lot of time thinking about these things and kind of curating it. And as we were talking about before, yeah, but, Podcasting is not as simple as kind of putting two interesting people together and, and therefore <laughs> getting an interesting 
conversation. It is not that straightforward. I've certainly learned that. Um, one of the questions that we ask guests is if you, one of the more sort of fun, relaxed ones is if you could go back in time to any point in history, so not just your lifetime, but any point in Ooh. history for 24 hours, when and where would you choose? Um, I sort of, it depends what mood I'm in. I always think I, I would quite like <laughs> to go to a Coliseum or I would a 1920s New York jazz bar a two of my oh, fa yes. <laughs> favorites depends what kind of, depends what time of the day you ask me <laughs> oh i mean they, uh, the thing is these are both really good um so um i um one of my favorite writers um is a guy called eric weiner and he uh he two of my favorite books of his are the geography of bliss and geography of genius uh, the former is uh, Eric going on a sort of trip around the world to identify which are the happiest and saddest countries and nations around the world and why that is. And the geography of genius is him sort of traveling through time and space, thinking about how it is that certain parts of the world gave birth to some of the most innovative, fresh thinking. So he sort of writes about ancient Greece and then Florence in the Renaissance and then um, Edinburgh during the Enlightenment and then obviously um, Silicon Valley today. So I will say actually um, sort of the, 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 the ancient Greece is quite tempting. I think that would be really exciting. Mm -hmm. See, I love jazz and I love New York. Um, so <laughs> now that, that, that's like really front of mind for me right now. But um, I mean, I don't know. Is, is that really geeky of me to say that? I don't know. And maybe, maybe, maybe Silicon Valley, but like, in the eighties when it was still super niche and just being in the room with some of these really, really smart people. To spend 24 hours in the, the garage that the garage. Hewlett and Packard shared, which has this amazing plaque kind of outside. This is, <laughs> this is where Hewlett met Packard basically. Yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> and as a final um, question, we are very keen to pass the mic on to kind of interesting entrepreneurs that may have not had much exposure yet. And I know this is something that you put a, a huge amount of time and thought into and are a massive champion of this. Are there a couple that you'd like to pass the mic to that we could speak to in a future series, potentially? I would, but it will not be a couple. I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you five. Okay. Brilliant. Um, always deliver to 150%. Um, so. <laughs> Some of some of my favorite founders that are doing really interesting work. I'll start. I'll start with um, Serona Health, um, a company we invested in out of the Black Founders Fund. Um, incredible uh, women founders who are using technology to fight endometriosis. Um, if you're not very familiar with it, it's a condition um, that affects approximately one in ten people with uteruses, uh, predominantly women. Um, and it can be, it can completely paralyze your life. Um, it actually is almost as common as diabetes. However, for every dollar that is, uh, spent, uh, on research into, uh, endometriosis, almost 200 are invested in diabetes. So finding, uh, finding good, uh, tech-based solutions to help can really change people's lives. And it can take up to eight years to, uh, to uh, find out, uh, find this condition out um, otherwise. Another one, Scoodle, a company that helps 
tutors promote their services and students get access to good quality tutoring at a price point that's affordable for everyone. So it helps, you know, we all talk about challenges with, um, with monetizing the sort of creator economy. Now, anyone that has any knowledge can basically advertise it on Scoodle and then people can learn. Uh, really love these guys. Yeah. Modularity Grid, fantastic leader, Elizabeth Nieko. She actually is one of the advisors to the government on the AI strategy. Um, so she is building technology that helps make energy systems more resilient. What that means in practice is she can help power and get more energy to power space rockets as well as off-grid villages in Africa. So again, incredibly powerful application of, of, of technology and just an absolutely uh, delightful human being. Another one, Vine Health, uh, you may have heard of them. Mm. They are using technology to support cancer patients. And, uh, you know, I think many of us, whether in or outside of the tech world, we're saying, you know, it's great. It's great that, you know, it's great that we're investing in crypto, but what about like cancer <laughs> and these very tangible things that can happen to all of us? So, um, and unfortunately, you know, they're actually do doing really well, raising more and more cash and growing really fast, but um, they have a very interesting view on on the role of technology to solve some of our health crises. And, and finally, um, a company that I uh, met recently based out of Wales, uh, Root Connect, they're be building technology that is helping, it's basically the Google Analytics for physical spaces is quite fascinating, but they're building these three models that can help analyze everything from traffic to weather to what's going on. Wacky technology, fantastic founder. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you were, one question you haven't asked me is what's the most exciting part about my job? And you can hear, this is exactly the most exciting part about <laughs> my job. Just meeting exceptional human beings that I have the privilege of being surrounded by and supporting. Uh, there's so much talent out there. It's unreal. That is a, uh, an amazing way to finish. I think, <laughs> um, uh, that is such an inspiring finish of the people that are trying to do so many things and. All of those companies have a social benefit to them that they're yeah. trying to achieve. And that's the thing that's always sticks with me with so many of the stories that we get on the show and what I get to see every day that I, I look at these companies. Um, and it, as you say, it's so inspiring to see the, the challenges that people are taking on and, uh, a lot of them will fail, but you know, definitely humankind is moving in the right direction that we're taking these challenges on so thanks so much for for joining with us and, and good luck with the podcast launch well thank you so much um i'll you know as i said it's important to vulnerably share the challenges you know i might call you in two months <laughs> it's <so> hard. <laughs> please give me some advice you know I'll, I'll take my own advice to look for advice <laughs> Keep going will be my advice, almost <laughs> certainly. But yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's um, let's stay in touch on it all. And I'm sure it's going to be a, a huge success. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Building teams, hiring and retaining talent is one of the biggest workplace challenges at the moment. I have recently spoken at Microsoft and the National Farmers Union on similar topics. If you'd like me to come into your organization or company and talk through what I have learned about those key issues from this podcast and my time in number 10, please do drop us a line at hello at jobsofthefuture.co 
and the excellent Jimmy's Jobs team will come back to you. If you really enjoyed the episode, a rating on either iTunes or Spotify makes a massive difference. And you can check out more of the backstory to the show at www.jobsofthefuture.co. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Insta, and LinkedIn at Jimmy's Jobs.